Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. My guest today is Kathy Griffin, the brash and snarky comedian who I've known for quite a while. In 2017, she became a canary in the coal mine for cancel culture when she posed for a photo with a mask style to look like Donald Trump's bloody severed head. Griffin said it was a joke, but the Secret Service didn't see it that way. They treated the image as a credible threat to the then president and launched a formal investigation into Griffin. She was also harassed online by MAGA fans and fired from many jobs, including her regular gig co-hosting CNN's New Year's Eve special. She was also put on the no-fly list, a real problem for a stand-up comic whose job it is to tour. Unlike some of her male cancel culture counterparts, Griffin still hasn't been able to make a real comeback. The experience hit her hard, and by 2020, also facing an addiction, the comedian found herself dangerously depressed and in a dark place. So I wanted to dig into Kathy's experience and get her take on the broader trend of cancel culture. Before we get into today's interview, I wanted to give a warning about content. This episode contains a discussion of addiction and suicide. Some parts are graphic and reflect Kathy's brand of humor. If you're having thoughts about suicide or are concerned that someone you know may be having those thoughts, the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255, and there are links to additional resources in today's show notes. Now on to the episode. Kathy Griffin, welcome to Sway. I'm so glad to be here. Explain your voice because people, you know, your voice is a very... Can you handle this? I'm demure now and I'll tell you why. Because (laughs) in addition to surviving my cancellation, which I just want to say one of my gays, and yes, I still say that, so go ahead and get offended. One of my gays said, you know, yours is the only cancellation that mattered. And damn it, that means something. So I, I've also survived uh, cancer. And so it's been a heck of a few years. And so I got lung cancer and I've never smoked a day in my life. And so I had a tumor removed in August and half of my left lung removed. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm one and a half lungs, honey. Take me as I am. <laughs> this is it. And by the way, I don't like your I have two lungs attitude. I feel it's offensive to me. Um, and I might cancel you. I do have two lungs, but I'll try oh, not no, to. That's all you people brag about. That is all you two lunged people. The two lunged community is so full of themselves. Okay, so anyway, the good news is they got all the cancer. There was a couple complications, and one of them was probably because of the intubation tube, my vocal cord on the left was damaged. So I'm trying to come back from that so I can work again and do stand-up again. And it's very odd, I for me of all people, to barely have a voice and to sound whispery and mild can be off-putting. Who do you think you sound like in your demure state now? I think that I sound obviously like Marilyn Monroe meets Joan Rivers. Like, and that would be probably my my perfect woman, if I could be anybody. 
Of you know, course. why not? Well, I like the way you sound. It's very nice. I do miss your other voice. So the last time we did one of these interviews in 2019, it was really something because I think it was the first time people realized, you know, you're seen as a comic and sort of brash and this and that. But when Trump was still president, you and he tussled quite a bit on social media. And then you did that photo. And you got a lot of fallout from that. You came under fire from the right and left. You got tons of death threats. You got investigated by the Secret Service and the DOJ contacted your lawyer. And even your mom, uh, your late mom, who's wonderful, believed the conspiracy that you're part of ISIS. How do you look at it when you look back? It seems like a million years ago, but this was not that long ago. No, and also it can happen again. And, you know, I've never gone deep with you like this, Kara, but it's actually been really um, something and really challenging. And I'm, I'm looking for words because, you know, when you're a comic and when you're me, like you're annoying and loud and blah, 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 you know, it's hard to sort of like even say things like this. But, you know, it's um, it's been really difficult. And it's been, I think, I think one of the things that's been hard is the number of folks that think I had it coming because it's me. As much as I thought I had been dealing with misogyny so much in my career, and I do for sure, I think even I underestimated the length of misogyny and sort of how high up it went. And what I mean by that is the number of men who probably consider themselves to be pretty feministic, who just didn't seem to be able to see me as a human. And that's been a thing that I think, you know, when I talked about death threats, um, I mean, I had the FBI come to my house you know, doing what they call a duty to warn. I was fully investigated by the Department of Justice. And so I sort of like, you know, it's funny since we spoke, I kind of almost take umbrage to the term canceled because most people, I mean, we can go down the list, frankly, they have been canceled for doing something wrong. And what I find offends people the most is if I say, yeah, I didn't do anything wrong. It's okay if you didn't like it. That's totally cool. But you have to stop thinking I did something wrong. You have to stop thinking I deserved it. I certainly didn't violate the First Amendment, but that's the part that I think we've seen from a greater cancel culture. You know, from my situation, now people are canceled in their office. They get canceled among their relatives. They get canceled in their Facebook group, you know. And it's an opportunity for me to be a little quiet. This is actually the first interview I've done in quite a while for me, which is a big deal. (laughs) Because... There's a lot of it, Kara, like, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm kind of afraid to talk about it with you today because it's a real thing that, um, you know, when you feel the weight of literally millions of people telling you over and over and over, not just that they want you to die and all that stuff, it's that the number of people that could have helped in a small incremental way that just didn't has been a hard pill for me to swallow. Because you can't help but go, why'd you stop at me? Like, why did... Why did other people who are, quote, canceled have so many other people advocating for them? And I'm talking like Louis C.K. That's been a thing that's different from when we spoke. Because when we spoke, I was still sort of in survival mode. I had just done a world tour, which was great. You were sort of swinging. You were like, this is bullshit. You were in the this is bullshit mode, I think. So Um, that was three years ago. Right. And my career landscape and the perception of me really kind of hasn't changed very much. Like a little, but not much where it can really kind of make a difference in my life or where I can go, hey, this is how I got out of it. This is how you should if you're in this situation. Right, right. So what was interesting about the time when we talked is two things. One was at South by Southwest. And I was told by the South by Southwest people that many reporters didn't want to do this interview. And I was like, why not? It's really... If you find it tasteless, that's one thing. But what's happened to her is really quite astonishing. And the other part was... um, 
I think people were surprised by what happened to you, even though you joked about it. I have more people talk to me about that interview than many that I've done because they were surprised. And I'm also surprised here that you're still scared. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, look, I had a guy come to the house last week. Like, I, I'm very immersed in MAGA world because I became very fascinated with them because of the way they treat me, but also as a comic, oh my God. I mean, it's such a study. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And so last week, a guy came to the house and he's this guy that goes to CPAC and he made this really weird gold sculpture of Trump, but it's like, looks like a troll, I guess you'd say. Yeah. So he's sort of very well known in those circles. And, you know, he came to my house last week and knocked at the door and was talking to my husband about how he wanted to do a shoot with me. You know, that's kind of off-putting. Creepy. Yeah, because yeah. this guy is very into MAGA world, you know, and he's not a random artist. No. Which would also have been weird. So this stuff still kind of comes up. Why are they interested in you? They are very much. You're one of the, you know, Hillary Clinton, you. There's a whole bunch that yes. they yes. sort of have as their villains in this demented Marvel movie, MAGA movie, I guess. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you because I was like, wait a minute. There's two things that I have to admit. I There's a part of me that I'll always want answers for. And one of them is, um, how do you think that my photo on that day went from being on TMZ, because that's where the photographer gave it for some reason, I don't know why, and then it was manipulated so quickly in meme form. I'm just curious what you think, because you now understand that machine in a way that I to this day don't. How would that photo go from someone in the White House or MAGA world, and I'm assuming since they went through with an actual investigation, I, my position is I feel strongly it came from the Oval Office. How do you think tech-wise, how did that damn photo get put into what? Convincing people I was a member of ISIS or whatever so mm-hmm. rapidly around the world. Well, it was it's interesting. There's been several really good books about this, about how it moves up and down. There's a stack where it can start at the top and go down or start at the bottom, bubble up and go to the top to Trump, who then would retweet things, right? Whatever it was, people are saying and then would link to it. Um, or make, you know, when the shooting starts, the looting starts, then it goes down and up. And there is a sophisticated system of online outrage that goes up and down. So the platforms are really, is the amplification and the weaponization of these things. And yours was particularly tasty, you know, and it was easy, memeable. It was easy to push around. I'm surprised it didn't go a lot faster. God, I was astonished by that. Really? Because I felt like it just happened and, you know, the picture was up on TMZ and I was just like, okay, that's for the stuff I've done in my career. It's like not that big of a deal. And then... It all changed so quickly. And then I read on the ticker on CNN that I was fired. So clearly, how did it get back to someone's office at CNN where they actually believed it to be like kryptonite enough that they had to take such drastic action? Well, a lot of it is they get spun up by the spun up. So one of the big issues I have is like, like I said, I wasn't really canceled. What happened to me was... You weren't deplatformed. Well, hold on. I was... I was targeted, my First Amendment rights were squashed by the federal government. But the fact that I haven't been able to make like make a living or work since then, except for like a couple little things here and there, that still tells me it's still a powerful machine. And I think that in my cancellation, and now I'll sort of go into other people's, sometimes there is an effect where people don't kind of want you to come back. And that's what I'm struggling with now, because I don't want to come back until my fans, if I may, um, want me to. And that's a hard thing to gauge in this environment. 
you know, because online there's one world and in theaters there's, you know, my last experience, I had quite a few incidents on my tour. Um, I had a guy show up, you know, with a knife after a show and try to get me and like Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. And I am apprehensive about those things happening again, because whether or not Trump is still president, the Trumpism stuff, I'm amazed at how like Mike Flynn and Stone and those guys, they are really online able to keep that world going. And then they have like rallies, not just Trump rallies every weekend. And it's like, it kills me that like that crowd is so good with knowing how to get a, uh, a false message out. Yeah, they're very good at it. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. You said you lost your first amendment by the federal government or by private companies pressured by the public? The federal government. Because how? Because remember, I was put on the no-fly list for absolutely no reason. Um, so that's the Fed stepping in. And um, they opened an investigation for the Secret Service and the U.S. Attorney's Office. I wasn't just called. You know, they investigated me for two months. They came to my home. I was interrogated under oath. You know, none of that happened to anybody else. So it's that's a little different. If you're an actual risk to the president, whether they could have gone, obviously she's not. That was what they were considering charging me with conspiracy to assassinate the president of the United States. Right. So that's, that's a very what different animal than like an inquisitive call. So private companies also pressured by the public, such as CNN and others. Right, right. And of course, Squatty Potty. Or pressured by whom? Well, pressured by Jeff Zucker, who hopefully is on a Squatty Potty right now. <laughs> Pooping himself into oblivion. By the way, there you're welcome, she is, America. You're welcome, America. I took care of that one, didn't I? Go ahead, cross me. You did. Cross me, Swishy. See what happens. I've taken down bigger titans. You're than referring you, baby. to Je- she's referring to Jeff Zucker, who just left CNN under difficult circumstances. Left. I'll get to him. Oh, I guess okay. I left. Bravo. <laughs> So before we get to them, resigned, he did resign, uh, not of his own will. Uh, let me just get finished with the platform. So I know you you were always tweaking Jack Dorsey. Now he's gone from Twitter, at least. Are there any parting words for him? You're welcome. <laughs> Are there any parting words for Jack? He's actually, I have a store in my wine room. I can't yeah. let him out. He's just, <laughs> no, he's just ridiculous. I mean, I had a good conversation with that guy, Nick Bilton, who wrote that book about him. And he, uh, he made me feel good because he said Dorsey's like just not a very smart guy and he's not really great at running that company. And I always like that. By the way, that's like Zucker. Like if you thought Jeff Zucker knew about news, this is a guy that put the Emeril Lagasse sitcom on NBC. Yeah. But I'm just saying, <laughs> we have to stop letting people run stuff that really don't know how to do it. Yeah. Okay. So do you think Twitter's learned any lessons? Because it did eventually, a lot of this led to January 6th. This is where it went in the end. They were not the reason it happened, but they were part of the spinning up of it. Yeah, I mean, they were really late to the party of doing whatever they're going to do. I mean, look, this is your area. All the hearings and stuff and like all the stuff that they could have done and didn't. So that's what I think about. I mean, and their whole game is like, you tech people are like mechanics. You know, you, we go in there and we're blind and we trust you. And you go like, hey, Lefty, come on in here. You take up the oil thing. And how much is going to be? $4 million. Or we're like, is that what the going rate is? And so... You know, you think you got us by the balls, but let me tell you something. I got rid of Dorsey. I'm getting rid of Zuckerberg. I'm getting rid of Sandberg. By the way, when I asked Jeff Zucker for that raise, where then not only did he fire me, but he deducted me 20% when I called back and begged for my job back crying. Um, I did that because I read that freaking lean in book like an idiot. And I believed it. (laughs) So you leaned leaned in. in. 
until I broke my nose on the concrete. All right, okay. So you, so that one's in my side. So how do you though. look at their performance, text performance? Because that was, you were a huge critic. Oh my critic. gosh. You're, you, if people don't know, Kathy DMs me and it's always about tech. Like, can you handle these boys? Can you get your boys? And they're not my boys, by the way. They're not mine. Oh, I don't, yes, they are, Kara. They're your responsibility and they're, they're your not, fault. They're not they're my fault. fault. I warned you they're about what was happening. Do you think they've learned anything or how do you assess them now? No. Because they're still the richest people in the world. They're still- I know controlling enormous amounts. They're trying to clean themselves up with Ukraine by behaving correctly here versus what they did around election lies or anti-vax or January 6th. Um, Where do you think they are right now? I know. Okay. So first of all, the warnings are a joke and we can go back to J6 for that. By the way, I'm like the definitive expert on J6. I'm obsessed. I listened to all the hearings and everything. I love it. Okay. So that stuff, you know, they remember even when Trump was like, will be exciting, stop the steal. They were putting the warnings on his stuff too. Those folks all still showed up and they'll keep showing up. So no, I don't think they're doing their job at all. And um, you know, I've dumped you for Franny Haugen. Did you know that? Yeah, is she your friend now? I had her on sway. More so than you, frankly. <laughs> okay, all So right. yeah, I kind of dumped you for the new shiny. See how Franny? you like it. You know the lesbians. They always want the new shiny. <laughs> Franny Haugen and I. Now, you know- Frances Haugen, for those who don't know, is the whistleblower in the Facebook hearings, and she was a product manager at Facebook. Don't play her down. I'm not playing right? her down. She was a bit- I, She did what you should have done. You're supposed to go testify on the hill today. Why don't you I, walk over there? Let's go I don't have do- internal documents. Come on. <laughs> Yes, you do. I feel like you do. Kathy, you I've written column after column since the 2015's warning You're about this. Back. You're on back. Okay. You've got back. some stuff. You've got like a pee tape. I do. Like I if do. I was a tech person, I would be afraid of you having my pee tape. And by the way, Kara, I do have one. And I'm revealing that here for the first time. I'm not saying where it is or what's to be done with it, but I do have a pee tape. On it's who? Weird. No one like asks about it. On myself. It's myself peeing on myself. Okay. But it's very secret. Yeah, okay. just really right. worry about getting it out. All right. You're very funny. But one, it is. it was a really hard time for you. And I think that's what really touched people in that interview. And in recent months, you've spoken more about this, that you fell deeper into pills. You were in a dark place. I tried to kill myself. Talk about that. I tried that. to kill myself and ended up in the psych ward, Kara. What happened? Explain what okay. happened. Why did, you, why did it go there for you? I think, well, look, I think that I'm probably an addictive person, you know, but you have to admit, it's almost like comical. Like I went, I went, in the hospital for pill addiction at 59 years old. Who the mm-hmm. hell becomes a junkie in like their late 50s? Me. And so <laughs> I just think it was like, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was a, such a crazy workaholic. And all of a sudden I had this time on my hands and then I was depressed and things just weren't looking up. And then you fall into the like, life will be better for my husband without me around. And you call the estate attorney and the whole thing. Who's Susie Orman's estate attorney? So, you know, I'm good. And so... Um, <laughs> okay. It just came to a point where I really, I was convinced, like, I've had a good run on this planet, and now it's time for me to go. It's been good. I've done a lot of great stuff. And so, you know, it gets pretty crazy. And then I will say, not to blame COVID, but then COVID also is like, just laying around all day and trying to figure out life. So that was rough, although it was it was a good thing, ultimately. And it was um, sobering, quite literally. And so, you know, I'm happily a member of AA. Although I never have had a drink still, and I won't. But I'm always really exclusively pills. But I still go to AA because there's like, it's a bigger umbrella. May I ask why pills? What was it? Just made you feel better or it just softened the edges? Yeah, or? I think that I didn't know. Like, it was a classic thing. This was OxyContin, may I ask? This it was o- Oxy, Vicodin. It was mm-hmm. the Benzos, like Valium, Clonopin, Ativan. And then it was the uppers, like Adderall, Provigil. So I didn't know I was doing like a rich white lady speedball, basically. So I would take like, 
I mean, the painkillers are insidious because I really did get addicted like the classic story. I had injuries and then blah, blah. But then you start taking a little more than you need. And then you can't sleep. So you take the downers and then you got to get up and you take the uppers. And it just got crazy. And um, it got away from me. Seriously, like I kind of knew it was getting bad, but then I didn't. And then once the suicide thoughts take over, you go like, oh, this has nothing to do with drugs. I'm just being suicidal out of the blue, which turns out was not the case. I am not suicidal, but I certainly thought so. And so I just, the reason I say that is I don't want anyone to ever downplay how much um, alcohol or drugs might be playing in you. If you happen to have suicidal ideations yourself, you know, for me, that stuff went away. But I'll tell you, detoxing was hard, man. And I did a real detox. Like I didn't go to like the fancy place because of COVID, (laughs) but it was an important process. And I love my, you know, meetings that I go to and all that stuff. I'm like one of those corny, happy members. And, um, you know, that it was funny. I watched, I've been following Beth Macy's work for a long time and I Mm -hmm. love Dope Sick. And I became friends with that guy, Danny Strong on Twitter. And I said, you know, thank you for making the doctor character someone who also started taking drugs late in life. I said, because Oxycontin and and some of those drugs, they're unlike any other drug in my opinion, because you really can be someone that didn't have these issues. And then you can, you take enough Oxy and you need it. Yeah, absolutely. What prompted you to get off of it? Honestly, it was the fact that when I overdosed and thought I was going to die, I fell down a flight of stairs and I just got a bunch of injuries instead. I didn't remember it and I'd never blacked out before in my life. So I was like, okay, this is bad. And then I finally got, I fell down one more time because I tried to do it a second time the next day. And then finally, I actually called my husband who I kicked out of the house in a fight, which was really dumb, but also drug fueled. And I was like, okay, I think I have to go to the hospital because I think I just like injured myself instead of like finishing the job. And um, this is one really inappropriate joke, but I can't help it. It makes me laugh. Please do. There's nothing worse than waking up for a suicide attempt because I know it sounds like a movie, but it really is like, oh, you are kidding me. <laughs> like there is almost a moment of like, really, really? But you know, you get over it. But, uh, but then, so then I went to the hospital and when you go to the hospital and you tell them what you've done, they go, oh, I thank you and welcome to your 5150 psych hold. And so I'm there and in the hospital in the psych ward for three days. And boy, that'll sober you up like nothing. Why is that? And also you're Why detoxing because you're just, you got no drugs and you're just shaking and sweating. And I'm looking at the ceiling and you're just reassessing life choices and you got nothing but your own thoughts. And so luckily um, I was able to, the, the hospital actually hooked me up with Um, like sober clinicians. And so they would come to my house every day for four months, P-test me. We would watch meetings on Zoom together, have sessions together, and it was great. And so that that really like saved my life. And then through that process, you know, you're kind of unpacking like anything and everything. So everything's been kind of surrounded by that a little bit, you know, like that comes first and then we'll see if we can, I don't want to say deal with the shallow career stuff, but we'll see if like, Maybe being, quote, canceled isn't uh, worth dying for. No, absolutely not. But you also <laughs> lost your mom before this. Yeah. And so at, on top of this and on top of, um, and your mother's wonderful from what I can oh tell. Oh, my God, you know. Maggie. I know. Yeah. I know. That was really big. And also we couldn't even have a funeral for her because of right. COVID. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, so, yeah, it's going to be, it's actually going to be weird. Like, it was, you know, taking the stage again after this break because, Right. I haven't done a show since I since I saw you. So I haven't been on stage in like 
two years. You obviously can't talk yet, but are you hoping to do that? Absolutely. I can't wait. So I was really fortunate. I got to do a show called Search Party. So right before my surgery, so when I had my voice, I could still do a series gig. So I think that will help people in my industry be a little bit of less afraid of me. And then once I start selling tickets, they're all going to come running back. Like, that's how that works. You sell tickets and they're like, hi, you were wronged. We love you. Yeah, You'd like right. 10 more percent of your income. So I look forward to going back and I'll probably start small. Like if I could even do eight nice theaters in eight nice comedy cities or cities that have been good for me, that would be heaven. Yeah, not Florida, I'm guessing right now. But in any case, you we'll know, get... <laughs> I have played Florida and Jersey more than any two states in this union. Wow. It's the oddest thing. So yes, will I be welcomed in Sarasota again? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with Monica Lewinsky, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Kathy Griffin after the break. If you have more time in the day, would you take a nap, read a book, talk with a friend? When something's important to you, it's easier to make time for it. Therapy can help you decide what matters most. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on your schedule. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash hardfork today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash hardfork. My name is Thomas Gibbonsneff. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, you're looking at the map of where you're going. If you're on a paved road, fueled roads, you know, is there a hospital nearby? Is your body armor affixed with the first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car. I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer. No more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, checking with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. So let's talk about cancel culture more broadly and who gets a second act. Let's start with Jeff Zucker, who you know, who was forced out as president of CN after the whole Chris Cuomo debacle. Zucker didn't disclose his romantic relationship with Alison Gallus, the network's chief marketing officer. Zucker hasn't been canceled per se, and some people think he'll make a comeback as a TV exec once again. What are your thoughts? Oh, I think he'll be back. I mean, you can't penetrate that boys club. That's it. He'll be fine. I mean, he's, you know, he's at an age where he might just pull him out lower and say, I'm just going to go in the Camptons and count my money. And like, you know, people don't believe me when I say stuff. And like my friend Kim Masters, who I love, she gets so like offended She's a writer. Like, when yeah. I say that I love her. But I always say, I think you're underestimating how many women in Hollywood are scared of these guys, even when they're gone. You know, I'm still not allowed on that show to talk because I mixed it up with Julie Chen when she started sticking up for Leslie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
I can't stand less. This is less Moonves used to run CBS. Yeah. Oh, can I tell you what happened last time I saw less? Sure. Yeah. See, Kara does not like this part of me. And this is <laughs> why Kara only wants to see me like in private homes. Like you never want to go out in public. You're like, come to the living room. I'll close the blind. But anyway, um, so get this. So I'm meeting a girlfriend at the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And this is after Les has finally been me too Like, finally, finally. Did I say finally? Finally. Okay. So then, finally. So I'm, I'm fancy and I'm like a real star and I like him. And so I walk in. And then the maitre d' is so nice that he walks me over. And then I see Les sitting alone at a booth on his phone. And first of all, I'm like, well, it's been a while since you've been alone at a booth. Okay, so, um, and then I can't resist. So I go like this, Leslie? Like really sweet. And he goes, uh-huh. So I turn the maitre d' and I go, I don't sit near rapists. Oh, no, you didn't. Yes. <laughs> and then it was in Variety the next day. Oh, no. Kathy, how can you, you know, you can't help yourself. You also, by the way, reposted the Trump picture in 2020. Well. You know, you you have to keep stirring it up, right? You know, I mean, somebody has to. Someone has to. But you know, the last time I got kicked off Twitter was by Margie Green. Margie Green started. Oh, really? Yeah. So she, um, it was when I reposted the picture. So then I noticed the way I get swarmed is I'm also like on the list of a lot of like Fox News blue checks. And then there's the Fox Nation people, yeah, which are yeah. a little more gritty, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and they're all named like Crystal and Charisma and all those weird names. <laughs> like they're like nouns. And so like the first time Sydney Powell came after me, I yeah. straight up wrote, who's he? Like I just wasn't aware of who she was yet. And now like you're kind of frankly bothering me because you're keeping me from listening in to one of my like Kraken lawyer hearings. Because my day, I mean, this is sort of fun for me, Kara, but I need to get back to my hearings. I'm like a semi-professional court watcher. Just just to, this idea of like powerful men, you talked about David Zaslav, who's now going to be running the combined Warner and, and John Malone, who is a big shareholder in this. Alison Gollist also had to leave CNN. Should she get a no, second chance or what, how, how do you, you look at this? Okay, Ava Braun, you don't get a second <laughs> chance when you're abling Jeff Zucker, who, by the way, when you meet him and you call him Zucker, he goes, it's Zucker, like hooker. <laughs> 25 years I've had to listen to that horrible voice of that horrible bald troll say, it's Zucker, like hooker. Okay, I'm speaking of someone who believes in second chances, Andrew Cuomo was at the center of the CNN debate. Not only his brother Chris gave cushy coverage on the network, but Chris is also advising Andrew's staff on how to avoid sexual harassment scandal. Chris lost his CNN gig eventually, but Andrew is coming back. Let's hear a clip from a recent speech he gave. Last February, several women raised issues about my behavior. As I said then, and as I say to you in this holy hall today, my behavior has been the same for 40 years in public life. You have seen me many, many times, and that has been my behavior. But that was actually the problem. Because for some people, especially younger people, there's a new sensitivity. So he's crying cancel culture, Kathy. What do you have to say to that? Of course. Well, look, let me just cut to the chase. Because you try to beat this like no agenda BS. You know, I'm, I'm biased, okay? I'm an analyst. All right, Even okay, analyze. I'm a very serious reporter on the January 6th events. Okay, okay. so, <laughs> okay. I mean, he shouldn't come back. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, it's pretty he quick. He had his chance. But the fact that he's on our team, the fact that we're losing a Democratic governor, and by the way, I like Kathy Hochul, and I like the options we have in our party. That's actually the part that's almost more egregious to me because we don't have them to spare. And I feel that 
This is a man who 110% knew better. And without getting into the scandals, you know, it's okay when you've done something that messed up to go. So, you know, this is somebody who really affects people's lives and policy. And once again, I took a picture. Like, that's the thing that I feel like is something I, I still have to deal with. And maybe it's a thing I can communicate. But I, I do think he did something wrong. He did something wrong. Right. And he's coming back right away and he's scapegoating cancel culture for his groping problem. It's probably smart. It resonates. But it's, he, it, we have a long and important history of getting rid of especially politicians who behave this way. And by the way, I, don't, I, I think he's a very, very bright guy. I think he was a great governor in many ways. These guys shouldn't be able to keep operating like this. And I feel that the new sensitivity is really, he may be really talking about transparency. So I don't know if we're sensitive to someone like Andrew Cuomo. We just see the crap he did. Right. You know, it's accountability. And I think one of the things is that, um, you know, the idea of being a victim is really a big, heavy thing. It happens on the right quite a lot, like grievance. I call yes. it uh, pre-offended or perpetual grievance. And that's why this is newsworthy is because he's acting like, uh, a typical, if I want to say right winger, I don't know if right. a MAGA, but like a right winger. Yeah. Trump, Trump does yes. this sort of always yes. hurt by something. <laughs> yes. And it's also so broad. One of the issues on the internet is we lose nuance. I just interviewed John Stewart and he talked a lot about that mobs will come and cancel if you're accused of sexual harassment like Cuomo was, or if you pose for some gruesome photo like you did, obviously not equal crimes. How do you make the punishment be different or it does, is it not? Is it just such a broad brush or a giant hammer that just... The punishment has to be different. Like, yeah. that's... I couldn't be happier you're asking me this because if I'm going to play a victim for one second, it's please stop asking me or putting me in categories of these toxically masculine men. But also, look, if you want to write, get into it, I also don't want to be in the same fucking basket as Roseanne. I look at Roseanne and I think of someone who, number one, gave me a break on a show when nobody else did. She put me and Jennifer Coolidge on a show and she was such an idol of mine. And I saw, personally, I saw Roseanne be treated like crap by men in the industry. Crap. Didn't trust her instincts. Didn't trust her comedic instincts, which were impeccable. And then I think she sort of crossed over. And I don't really know what led her to be MAGA, but I think she became Q first. She's actually the person that they make these documentaries about QAnon about. She's really, she really believes that stuff. And she hates me now and she thinks, I, she thinks I'm ugly on the outside and inside and blah, blah, blah. So she's like way down the rabbit hole. But there's a part of me that, you know, wonders how much Rose McGowan or, or Roseanne I give them, I don't want to say a pass, but I feel like that's a category. But then, like I said, that's very different from these guys that are typically sexual assaulters or other people like Jeff Zucker that have, in my case, directly affected the trajectory of my career. Like I was, quote, canceled, but the folks that are the most egregious, they sort of have to be, they have to go first. And that takes a long, long time. So I think... The cancel culture situation has been a bit co-opted by the same forces that were not comfortable with Me Too. Like, there's a lot of discussion in Hollywood about Me Too women feeling like they've been kind of abandoned by their own movement. And I kind of agree with them. And I'm not one of those girls. I don't, you know, but um, I think there's a little bit of a similar thing. Like, people are afraid to look too crazy, so they just abandon ship. 
Like those Me Too girls shouldn't have been abandoned. Right. There's you know? too much, too much hair on you in, in that way, too yeah. much trouble. All right. So let me go through a couple of people. Joe Rogan, he's covered uh, many, many, many things, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, racial slurs. Most recently, he's come under fire for spreading misinformation about COVID and vaccines. Again, Spotify stuck with him. Thoughts? Well, okay. So I hope you love me because this is my third rail and okay. I'm going to get I, blowback. All right. Even though the Rogan fans don't like reading the New York Times, but I'm just saying, okay. <laughs> Some of them So do. I think that Joe Rogan 100% has the right to do that show wherever he wants. He is exercising his free speech without a doubt. And that's easy. My feeling about Joe is it's an analogy I'm going to steal from a girlfriend of mine, Sarah Schaefer, who's a really, really talented comedian and comedy writer. And she was saying that, like, she feels like the, like, we'll say the Joe Rogan types. And go ahead. I'm going to go throw Dave in for a minute, too. Yeah, Dave, Dave Chappelle was going to ask you. Well, because his special, you know, the closer together. Yeah, his special, just so people don't know, the closer was criticized as being transphobic and anti-LGBTQ, but Netflix stuck with him and doubled down on him, actually. Well, I, I would argue it was transphobic. So I'm going to go further and just say Dave does material that's transphobic. So I'm just going to, that's my feeling and my opinion, you know. Okay, so, and I love Dave and I think he's a genius. I just think that he's also transphobic. Okay, so for, with Joe. So Sarah Schaefer made this analogy I really respected, which is she was like, look, you know, you've got two guys like Dave and Joe. And if you if your audience doesn't know, they did a stadium tour together where each artist is probably making a million a show, a show. So um, just because you have these two guys who started out from, I'm sure, humble beginnings and wanted to be comedians and. Now they certainly are and wildly successful. Um, it is kind of like just because you've never had a Lamborghini doesn't mean you should take it out every single day and drive 100 around a schoolyard. And that's what I think these guys are doing. And what bothers me is that they don't have to be this way at all and it, that it's a choice. And the Rogan situation is fascinating to me because oh, this is very, very controversial in the comedy world. So I'm just going to say it. There's a certain type of guy. And I've learned, I used to think it was all white guys. I think it's now white, black, gay, straight. And they maybe don't have what it takes to excel to the next level. Just talent wise, like the actual material. Like, let me just say this. Joe Rogan was... A news radio. Great. Joe was a middle, what's called a middling comic before then. He wasn't headlining. He wasn't, people weren't quoting his act. So it's a great break. I would suggest that there are comics who just kind of don't have, <laughs> they don't have what it takes. And so I have seen over the years, several comics that are like mid-level, perfectly fine, homogenous dude comics with kind of the similar jokes of all the other dudes. Then go, well, I can't quite keep up with, like, Dave Chappelle is obviously not that guy at all. So I can't keep up with Dave, but I can keep up with him if I have this show that 10 million people listen to a day. Like, so it's not terribly uncommon for a male comic who doesn't succeed in the comedy realm to become very angry. Were you surprised that Spotify stuck with him? Um, no. Because when are we going to see any of these guys, like, really pay? Like, and I don't mean, like, pay, he should, be, he should still do his show. There's so many ways that Spotify could have done this and they could have either they could have just said, look, this is the kind of show we need you to do because people are dying. 
They could have certainly given him a pay cut, which I've been given for saying controversial things. Mm -hmm. Or they could have just said, this is what we're doing. So like it or lump it. They could have also just stood by what they want to do. But that's that's kind of usual for such a big corporation to do with a $200 million investment to say like it or lump it. They're trying to, they got to please many masters. Right. So in Chappelle's case, you think he's genius. So do I. But his material is true. So I think I I sort of was like, can you get off this? Like, you know, it's not funny. I think Dave is transphobic. I think Dave is just a transphobic guy. I don't think Dave is trans bashing. I don't think Dave is running around, you know, harming gays. I just think Dave is like a once again, Dave's like, look, he's still just like a 51 year old guy. Like, I'm just saying, like, I think sometimes we attribute whether if someone's of color because they've had a struggle and they've been in a oppressed minority. I think that's what hurts so many of my trans friends is they're saying to me, how can this guy be a black guy who's, you know, his heart beats for George Floyd as it should. But when it comes to us, he doesn't even he doesn't get it. Like, he just keeps making a joke. He does go on about that. Well, he also loves to say, if this is what being canceled is, I love it. And I'm like, Dave, you weren't canceled. Not by any stretch of the word. Mm-hmm. Like there are a couple of parades and then you're making more money. In fact, right. you're doing more specials. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess, look, here's my selfish part. It is hard for me when any one of these guys sort of dares to utter the word without like referencing what happened to me. Mm, easy with the, you were canceled and it's horrible. And, you know, you've got to do an apology. <laughs> like, you know, try still being out of work for five years with my resume. If well, another one, Louis C.K., who really, he's trying to make a comeback. He's a new uh, okay. special called Sorry and Everything. Okay, what about his one-nighter in Kiev? You can't write that. <laughs> no. he had one, did you know that? Yes, no, I read one-nighter about one-nighter in Kiev. I'd go do that gig now if they made my <laughs> quote. I'd be on a plane right now. <laughs> By the way, I can't wait to, like, perform for Despots. Can you look that up? Come on, your crowd knows I got those. more to ask about. J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling. Okay, that one. Can you imagine just having everything in life Everything in life, everything's going your way, baby. You're a role model. You're living the dream. You got more money than Oleg Deripaska. But no, this is the hill you're going to die on. And there's like quadrupling down, sextupling down. This one will not stop. And by the way, you can't engage with her because she she loves it. She's like thirsty in a way that she shouldn't be. So no, I don't I don't care for her. I don't think she should be saying. We're feeling what she's feeling. Okay. I have the thought police. All right. Florida legislature. Oh, boy. That was okay. I mean, it's really getting scary there in ways that, I'll be honest, like like the rest of America, one of my biggest fears is I feel like my fellow Americans aren't as scared as we should be. And I feel like my Floridian friends, they're frustrated all the time, but I fear that stuff can flip there so quickly in ways that we're not going to kind of understand because we're used to democracy and somewhat fairness and we've seen the slow drip, but I now understand the drip, drip, drip. And that's, I think what's happening in Florida and Texas and other states, but they seem to be wanting to lead the charge. Yeah, absolutely. I just pulled a conference out of there. Um, It's causing quite a hubbub. Yeah, I saw that. Good for you. All right. So someone who never gets canceled, the person who canceled you, what does it take for Trump to get canceled? He says he's Teflon. Uh, He seems to be, although he gave an interview where he was talking about Ukraine and he switched to uh, uh, wind turbines, windmills. Yeah, because he's the only one who's like really talking about that. (laughs) He's got his finger on the pulse in a way where you might cut your fingertip off. Yeah. So I feel like Trump was someone you could actually put his finger in a windmill and be like, hey, how'd that get cut off? Yeah. (laughs) So So there's that. I saw that interview. 
What, what is it about him that, you know, he, this is a person who was able to really give damage to you, Kathy, um, not just in the photo, but continuing to do that. And then they used it. And with his like foot soldiers and we all know who they are and all that other stuff. I, you know, it's an interesting thing. Remember we used to say Bill Clinton was Teflon. We had no idea what Teflon really was. You know, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything as a comic politically, like things I've sort of covered or talked about. I mean, he's definitely has to croak. Like he really is overdue to pass away. And I say that because, I mean, the one thing I hate to give him credit for, and I'm not saying it's not, you know, and as a recovering pill addict, I would suggest he is on quite a combination. Um, But he does do those rallies and he doesn't have a lack of energy. And so he will be back. I don't have total faith in the, the legal stuff keeping him out of the race. And I honestly... That's what I think about a lot, because when he does finally die, the noise will be lessened to a degree. But there's such a horse race to see who's the next one. And, you know, it's very frightening because DeSantis is like the smart choice for a Trump replacement, you know. And then we've got the craziest of the crazies who still have power. And this year, I'm once again extremely apprehensive about midterms because I think we're going to see real changes in affect our everyday life. And what I mean is, if you think you're complaining about the supply chain or whatever's on Fox, remember the Obama years with freaking John Boehner and then Paul Ryan. I mean, the guy couldn't do anything. And so I really don't want to see the last two years of Biden, you know, God forbid, be like that. So I'm very apprehensive about that. That will make a change. If the Dems can really turn out and get it as interested as the Republicans will prevail. But right now, and I follow this stuff bizarrely religiously, um, the Republicans are way more invested in this than we are. Way more. It's kind of really frightening. If he runs again in 2024, what? how do you feel? Well, that'll, that'll be an interesting thing because then we do just fall into authoritarianism very rapidly. Very rapidly. And as much as like the Ukraine stuff, obviously there's not a comparison to here, but I will say the rapidity, if that's a word, or I made it up, of that and how it went down so quickly, you know, Trump isn't going to like bring true foreign troops into a country, but I think he's openly talked about all the things he wants to do. And I think now is when you let people like me, they make the jokes about what he says and then let the important people stop joking about what he says. One thing that bothers me as a comic, I'm tired of like the George Conways and like the really smarty and I, you know, he's our friend, but like, I'm kind of like, okay, I love that you're witty, but Stop being funny now because like now we're really getting to like the 2022 midterms, then be funny for a while. And then you got to be serious for 2024. So it is a cultural thing because we've had a president who's a joke in many ways and then who turned out to be not a joke at all in many ways. Let let me just ask the last question. I was going to ask you where comedy is going, but what's funny, Kathy? Is anything? I mean, you're saying we have to stop joking and get serious. So what's well, funny? I think the, the pundits that we're supposed to take seriously should stop kind of like goofing around with this because I know it's crazy and it's fun, you know, but... And it's easy to make fun of Trump and windmills, in other easy. words. It's easy. And there's so many others, you know, coming yeah. down the pipeline. But I think for comedy, I can only answer for myself. I think that my act for all these years has been, and you know, we didn't even get into the 90s and the aughts because that was like a whole other sensibility that was vicious comedically, like vicious. I don't think people have a taste for that. And I look, I'm always going to talk about the Kardashians because I have like an actual relationship with them and they're always doing something funny. 
But I think that when I hit the stage again, I'll probably talk more about like, believe it or not, there's a lot of really funny stuff in recovery. Like I can talk about that. Pills are funny. You know, believe it or not, the cancer stuff is funny. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but like, I want to COVID stuff. We're all going through stuff. Like, I want to talk about what we're all in together. And then I want to pepper it with like my silly, whatever celebrity thing I happen to be like actually immersed in. Right. What's your favorite celebrity right now? Kardashians were for a long time. I mean, they they don't die, those Kardashians. They fucking keep coming back like a jack-in-the-box, like a whack-a-mole. I mean, just when the girls kind of calm down, then the ex-husband comes back with that Instagram, which, you know, I'm going to hell in a handbasket, but I check it every four seconds. You have to call him yay now. He doesn't even okay. like anymore. So, and then I'm watching Britney. I'm not going to lie. I'm watching Britney. Now, I can't tweet about Britney because then it's like they think I'm making fun of her. But I mean, her Instagram is a journey. It's a journey. So just, journey. you know, Kanye, uh, yay, kind of copied you with that Pete Head thing, correct? Honey, they all do. Wake up. You took your last question to realize that? They all copy me, goddammit. I'm hanging up on you. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Daphne Chen, Caitlin O'Keefe, and Wyatt Orm. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Saburo, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair and Mary Marge Locker. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Kristen Lynn, and Christina Samuluski. The senior editor of Sway is Naima Raza, and the executive producer of New York Times Opinion Audio is Irene Noguchi. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts. So follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you, along with a gold sculpture of yours truly, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.